0: Don't measure your performance for the first year. Just focus on your niche, quality, quantity, and building relationships in your niche. One, two, three,
1: four. Welcome to another episode of Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast. I'm your host, Prateek Panda, VP of Marketing at Philo, the universal API for creator data. Joining us today is renowned B2B podcaster, David Bain. As founder of Casting Cred, author of Marketing Now, and host of Virtual Summits, David is an expert in both the marketing and content creator space. With over 20 years of experience in leading marketing strategies, David will be talking to us today particularly about the 6-Edge content marketing framework that he has come up with. And we'll learn how you can apply it to your own business. But before we get started with the conversation today, Do not forget to hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast platform if you haven't done so already so that you don't miss out any of the latest episodes. David, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you here.
0: Hey Prasheek, great to be on with you. Thanks for having me on.
1: So let's get straight to it, right? You've spent a long time in marketing, you've worked with different brands. What's your hot controversial take on influencer marketing?
0: I know it's not necessarily easy to do, but I would recommend focusing on influencers that don't have much authority to begin with, because that's the probably easiest way that you can start to build relationships with people in your sector. I mean, I've obviously been doing some form of influencer marketing for a while, be it podcasting or um, other forms of marketing online. And I've interviewed people for my podcast in the past, like Ran Fishkin, Amy Landino, Roberta Blake, Marcus Sheridan. And these are fairly decent, big names in the marketing niche. But maybe five to 10 years ago, they weren't quite so big names. And, you know, I've got great relationships with these people that I've interviewed in the past because I started off at a point where they were very comfortable having conversations with many people, certainly to be on a marketing type podcast. So Whatever your niche is, I would say build relationships with those up and coming influencers, just people who are blogging away initially or on social platforms in your sector. Build those relationships well, and some of them will become big influencers in the future.
1: So, when you say build relationships, are you saying or suggesting some sort of commercial engagement as well? Not necessarily to begin with. I think people sometimes rush
0: towards a commercial arrangement, and that Can put people off. I mean, ideally, you want to be taking a year plus of time to initially perhaps comment on their posts. So just so that they recognize your name. And then hopefully you've got a podcast or some kind of ongoing YouTube show that uh, you can invite them on as a guest. And that's a wonderful way to build a relationship, to actually interview them to begin with. And then if they're up for it, hopefully they can be on other episodes in the future. I remember one thing I did in the past was as well as hosting an ongoing podcast and video series, at the end of each year, I hosted a big catch-up of um, what are the hot topics of this particular year and invited all my previous guests back on for that. So it was a way of once a year just maintaining that relationship.
1: I think that's great advice. And uh, you've been podcasting since 2005, I believe, right?
0: Nearly 20 years now. Wow.
1: Amazing. That's a long time, right? And you would have seen this entire space evolve, not just as a marketer, but as well as a content creator, right? And what has changed, do you think, especially from a podcasting point of view, uh, as we relate it to influencer marketing?
0: To begin with, it was just a techie, fun place to be, and it wasn't really thought about as a, as a marketing channel. So podcasting obviously started about 25 years ago or so, and people used to have to generate their own RSS feeds and tell people about their feeds and teach them how to subscribe to their podcasts. And that changed quite a bit in 2005 with the launch of iTunes by Apple. And... At the time, there were probably about uh, something like 10,000, 30,000 podcasts out there. So perhaps uh, a lot, but by today's measurements of, of probably about 2 million plus active podcasts, not a lot really. But that brought it into the mainstream and people back then used to have to plug their iPods into their computer and take several minutes, if not longer to sync all their content between their devices. So it was a bit of a challenge to even then subscribe to podcasts, but that's when I really first got into it. And you have to fast forward to 2012 when Apple Bot uh, brought a a native app into the game. And by that time, about 2012, that's when smartphones became much more popular and it became easier to automatically, through wireless, sync your content, download your podcast episodes, and automatically for the layperson quite easily subscribe to podcasts and receive that content.
1: That makes sense. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting journey. And we've seen that with different things. And, you know, getting to know that about podcasting is also fascinating. Going back to your experience leading marketing teams across different businesses, right? What has been your experience with influencer marketing? And uh, can you share any examples of things that you've been able to do well with influencer marketing?
0: I mean, in terms of my start within marketing and maybe digital marketing before influencer marketing and different forms of content marketing. So, I really got started online with SEO, with uh, ranking websites to the top of Google. And back 20 plus years ago, it was incredibly easy to do. And I went to different business networking events and I was asked by different people, How do you do that? Can you show me how to do that? And I ended up developing different online training courses. So I, I delivered internet marketing training, digital marketing training. And a lot of that at the time was, was, was content marketing was probably writing blog posts. And I guess initially it was about, um, exchanging the opportunity to appear on different blogs. So you, you would reach out to someone to say, look, I've got a blog as well on this particular topic. Would you actually like to write a blog post for me? And I could do the same thing for you as well. So it was kind of like guest posting back in the early days. But in terms of influencer marketing, I mean, I did touch upon the fact that what I used to do when I started podcasting, which was quite a while ago, was reach out to people and get people to appear in my show. And that was a very natural way to appear in their show as well. And you can define opportunities based upon whether they've got a podcast or not that you'd like to appear on. And then perhaps you could invite them on your show after that. I mean, I've done different forms of influencer marketing in relation to SEO and building links and persuading bloggers to maybe review a product and in exchange link back to you. But going back to my earlier point of building relationships with up and coming influencers, even if you're doing something like wanting to get an authoritative blogger to link to you, to talk about you from their website, it's challenging to begin with. So the most effective way, in my opinion, if you're in it for the long term, is to get links, get notoriety from these up-and-coming platforms, these up-and-coming influencers. And then these links, these mentions of your brand will stay there for the long term. Quite often they'll stay there for for 10 plus years. And the chances are, the authority of these other websites and the authority of the influencers that you're working with will improve over time and, and your traffic and notoriety that you'll receive as a, as a result of that will improve over time as well. I know it's quite often something that um, C-suite are looking for immediate results from you can of course if you've got some authority yourself hopefully work with slightly more authoritative influencers out there however i would probably combine working with up-and-coming influencers with other marketing channels so i'd focus on my six different core types of content that i define and then look for marketing channels that can funnel me traffic and perhaps focus on paid at the same time as up-and-coming influencers
1: okay that's interesting and uh, you know you done a lot of work with content and you said you know a lot of your experience also came from seo one of the things that you talk about frequently is your six edge content marketing framework can you tell us a little bit more about it
0: sure i mentioned briefly that i did a lot of training and i always struggled to stop myself from trying to share too much. I think that's when someone's challenged to begin with, when they start off um, running a training session. They're so passionate about their topic and they want to share as much as possible. And I started off delivering my first session called the 13 Pillars of Internet Marketing. And then I moved on to the 26-week digital marketing plan. And it was, this is what you do. This, step, this, step. And it was a lot of information, a lot of great information as well. But I needed to understand that um, it's not possible to do everything and not appropriate for every business to do everything, especially with all the evolving opportunities within marketing. So I was looking for some kind of framework to have at the center of my digital marketing training that I was delivering, something that the attendees could take away and apply to their own businesses and perhaps apply other marketing channels in the future. And I believe that content marketing was very much at the center of every successful marketing activity. So even something as simple as a paid ad, a Google ad online, a a bit of copy, a great landing page. So content marketing success, absolutely at the center of every single piece of marketing. So I was looking online. So what content models exist and probably the most prominent one that I came across was the, the three H model that was started by Google and YouTube. And, um, that was, um, hero hub. And help content, hero content, the big, incredible piece of content that you have to begin with. It could be a movie on YouTube, could be a lengthy article, could even be a book, something that people would naturally be passionate about, love and want to share with their friends and friends and colleagues as well. You've got hub content that would be episodic content. So that could be a podcast. It could be a YouTube series. Uh, it could be a blog series, something that would people would subscribe to and come back to. Even an online training course could also be hub content as well. And then you've got help content, which tends to be targeting long tail keyword phrases and giving you an opportunity to rank for these longer tail, very relevant, specific keyword phrases that you want your business to to rank for. And hopefully... Once people search for that kind of phrase, they're looking to do business with your type of business. So those were the three main types of content that were highlighted as part of Google's 3H model. But for me, it didn't cover everything. It didn't cover the type of content that would be a sales page, and it didn't cover the type of content that would encourage someone to stay with a business and maybe even move them on from being a loyal customer to being an advocate of that business. So having a think about the types of content that would apply there, I've got um, heart content that uh, is at the heart of what our, biz- our business does. It really describes specifically the benefits uh, of, of what a product or service offers. So that's heart type content that would convert a buyer You've got happy content that would encourage someone just becoming a customer to become a happy customer, to love what they do, maybe some kind of educational program to encourage that buyer to remain sticky with the business. And then after that, um, you've got human content. So human content encourages that customer to have a conversation with people in the business and actually build up that love for the business and that likelihood of them becoming a brand ambassador. So that's a, a brief summary of where the initial 3Hs came from and the other 3Hs that uh, I took and applied to my own parts of what I believe to be the average customer journey.
1: Okay, I mean, it does seem like it does cover a lot of things and it also seems like it is a lot of work. So if you were to help someone get started in this 6H framework, is there some elements that you would say are probably more important or crucial to focus on first.
0: I love the SEO saying as it depends. And obviously it depends on the type of business to a certain degree and also the current content ecosystem that that business has. Because I think different businesses tend to be better at different types of content or gravitate towards different types of content. It's essential, obviously, to begin with to have a great sales page. You could be focusing on one particular product out of a portfolio of your products. Uh, Maybe you've got a, a SaaS business that has really one sign up type page, but I'm a fan of actually Simon Sinek's approach. He recommends starting with why, and I apply what he says to writing a great sales page. So I tend to structure a sales page starting off with why. So not anything about what the business does about what the the mission is of the business and how that tallies up to what that particular customer is is looking for and how they can get passionate about it as well and how the business and the customer can do things together to achieve what both of them want to do together as well. And how and then what. And so how they go about doing it and precisely what the business offers. So I, I like to see that kind of sales page to begin with. And to a certain degree the the rest of your content needs to drive traffic towards their at the right point. So if you don't have that decently converting page, then even if you have wonderful content in other areas, then you're not going to retain people or encourage people to become customers.
1: Makes sense. And, you know, one of the things that while you were explaining, right, um, I think the happy part of the framework, you know, piqued my interest because that's what keeps bringing people back, right? Like the kind of content that you can put up that actually creates that sort of feeling. Uh, do you know of any brands that you can talk of that do this well?
0: My main focus has been SaaS type brands. And um, you know, I've looked at a few. I don't know if I, would, I necessarily want to, to name people directly, but essentially it's businesses that create that, what's the next step now, sequence of content, once someone becomes a customer. So I think that um, using SaaS as an example, if someone signs up and then they've got instant access to a platform, it can be overwhelming. There's so many different things to do. So it's putting the content into a, right, typically new customers Get the most out of our platform by following these steps to get started quickly. So these are the five steps that, that you should take now. It's just going to take five minutes of your time. Do this, this and that. And once you get them seeing some value in what you do, they're more likely to be a little bit sticky.
1: I'm going to ask something very different now. Have you seen any cases where this kind of framework might not be a good fit or you might not be ready to go with this framework yet? So
0: The framework tends to focus on businesses that have a reasonable length of um, customer buying journey. And if you've got a business that relies on advert, you want that sale straight away, then you're not going to necessarily utilize a podcast or other forms of hub content. Within that content marketing mix, it's essential, obviously, that you have a great landing page and a great converting sequence, but you may be relying on and doing very well with paid traffic. Um, If that's the case, you don't necessarily have to rank organically for help content. It's probably better if you do to actually reduce your um, average CPA for new customers. Generally, if you have a a reasonably long sales cycle, i.e. probably longer than a month or two, then you need something that. Reminds the customer that that you you do exist because once someone visits your website and they're not ready to do business with you at the moment, you have to find a way to actually say to them, "Come back when you're actually ready and 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 a great way to do that is by publishing a regular series of content that that customer can subscribe to. Now within that series of content, you're not actively selling to them all the time. You're demonstrating yourself as an authority within your niche so that when the customer's ready to buy, they'll think, okay, I need to buy this thing now. Who's the authority in this industry? Oh yes. I subscribe to this podcast. It's them. What's their brand again? I'll, I'll go, back to that website. So that's, that's where that form of content can be exceptionally effective. But yeah, for, for very short, um, buying cycles, not all forms of content are necessarily relevant for that business.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Thank you so much for sharing. Who do you think should be the owner of something like this, right? Do you think, yes, of course, a marketing leader or head of marketing could propose a framework like this. But as I look at it, it seems like each of these could potentially be owned by different people on the marketing side. Have you thought about how this fits into our traditional B2B SaaS marketing team?
0: It's a great question, and to a certain degree, it depends on the size of the team. So you will traditionally have specialists who are more creative or more focused on paid search and, and sales pages, but this is where it's absolutely key for teams to be working more closely together and understand the purpose of each other's activities. If you've got a content marketer that's just focusing on producing blog posts, then they need to know the impact that the traffic that they're generating has on the overarching customer journey and where that customer is likely to go next and where the business wants them to go next. And that that should be part of the conversation. So they may, may not be in charge of and um, producing the content that results in the sale directly, but there needs to be that kind of um, relationship, that smooth funnel between what they're doing and, and the sales page. And I think that content should be at the center point of your strategic marketing thinking, because once you've got that framework right to begin with, then it's a case of mapping your channels on top of that. So maybe it's a case of top levels of marketing, marketing directors, really understanding where everything fits into each other and then ensuring that the teams are Carrying out each type of content and into each marketing channel effectively, not necessarily knowing exactly what the other one does all the time, but as long as it fits into that understandable, bigger picture, then I guess the key thing is maybe once a year, a marketing leader reviewing are all forms of content that are appropriate on offer for the consumer available to consume during the buying journey. And are we making best use of our marketing channels to drive people towards those different forms of content?
1: Okay, so David, for my next question, I'm going to be a little bit selfish. Um, I am planning to start another podcast and you've done this for 20 years. Suddenly podcasts have also become a very popular thing. A lot of businesses are starting podcasts. You know, it's been great for us at Philo as well. Um, And a lot of individuals are starting them too. You know, in the beginning part of the conversation, we discussed uh, a lot of things that, sort of show how podcasts can be leveraged to build good relationships as well if somebody were to start a podcast in 2024 what would be your recommendation on how they would stand out and achieve success
0: okay uh, yeah i mean i mentioned earlier on there are well over 2 million podcasts now there are hundreds of millions of youtube channels so there needs to be a reason um that people would subscribe to you to begin with it's got to be as simple as audio quality so the The minimum standard of microphone that I recommend is a Samsung QTU microphone. It's a lovely dynamic microphone that um, only costs about $80. If you position it nicely, 45 degrees away from your mouth, talk past it, use a windshield as well, you're going to be delivering a decent quality piece of audio to begin with. You want to be planning out the reason why you're doing it. People just need one reason to switch off from your podcast nowadays. They have thousands of other options. So... The question is, why are they going to stick with you or why are they going to be turned off by what you're doing? And they're certainly going to be turned off by a long rambling introduction, the same introduction at the beginning of every single show. Um, they're going to be turned off by poor quality audio content. They're going to be turned off by rambling, by excessive ums and as and silences. So you've got to get your editing right to begin with. You can have a long podcast. There's no issue with having episodes that are more than an hour long as long as the content is needs to be that long is great quality for your your listener. your listener will, will stick around for that as well. I, I like to have a mix of a bit of free flow and a bit of structured episode. So for my episodes, I tend to have maybe a 15 minutes or so of discussion on a particular topic to begin with. And then maybe I have five core questions that I ask um, all of my guests. And this is something for my regular listener to be coming back to. It's something that they can wonder what the other guests' opinion of the same question will be. So it's a nice way of, of getting that continual listener. I've got different bumper noises that I can bring in that are fun to me. You've got to enjoy it yourself as a producer as well. And you've got to be very consistent with your episode publishing. You've got to have as many published as possible on a consistent basis. Monthly is not enough anymore, unless you're Seth Godin or someone like that. Monthly isn't enough anymore. Even weekly is going to be a bit of a struggle unless you're very niche orientated in terms of your topic. I've got a client I can tell you about um, called Majestic SEO. So they offer you know, a great platform for analysing the back- backlinks of a website, and for video viewers, I can show the book that I produced for that particular client. SEO in 2024 is the latest book that I published there. So I've recently completed interviewing a hundred top SEOs for podcast series, video series, and and book. Now. The way that that particular series has been a, an incredible success is that um, we've published a new episode every day, five days a week, for about four or five months in a row, the full 100 episodes, five days a week. And that episode at the moment is number one for SEO on Spotify. And that regular publishing, five days a week. So consider doing something unique and incredible like that, where you've got a big series, you've got 100 episodes, but you're releasing it once a week five days a week and you're making a big fanfare about it something else that you can do to drive listeners to it to begin with is as soon as you've published an episode Within the first 24 hours of that episode being published, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, different platforms like that are looking for the download numbers, the listener numbers within that initial period of time. And if you can drive people from your email list or maybe social advertising to your podcast and target people that you know are listening on that platform who are likely to click through and, and listen, then that increased number of listeners in that 24-hour period will drive the organic success of that episode for the first 24 hours and then make it easier to discover on those platforms.
1: That's great advice. I think overall also, David, very, very good advice. And I think everybody who's listening, even marketers who are planning to start podcasts for their brands would find it very helpful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Fun question to segue into a different segment. If you had the option to take an influencer out to lunch, who would that person be and why?
0: It's a challenging question. The answer will probably change depending on the day of the week. But let's go for Marcus Sheridan. Marcus Sheridan wrote a book called They Ask You Answer. And it's a great introduction to modern content marketing because it advises people to write content that their target audience actually want to find the answer to or record videos on that. So not to focus on short tail keyword phrases to try and drive traffic from Google. That game is almost over it's difficult search engines are changing answer the questions that your audience want to know go on google and type in a keyword phrase and then go halfway down google and you'll probably see a section that says people also asked and you can see the type of questions that you should be answering there's also a service called alsoasked.com and if you go to that website then it takes data from those Google searches and you will be able to discover what long form questions your own target audience are likely to be asking. And you've got to make sure that as long as if your competitors don't have wonderful pieces of content already answering those questions, that you create content. Um, because if you create content, that's great. Maybe that's video based as well. That's targeting those long tail keyword phrases. Then you've got a great chance of ranking for that, driving traffic from search engines and YouTube as well. So yeah, Marcus Sheridan, they ask you, answer. We'll introduce you to them.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, David, for sharing that. And with that, we'll come to the end of this session. But one last question before I let you go. If somebody starting out in the space of influencer marketing, a brand marketer, what are some tips and advice you would give them for 2024?
0: Sure. i would just say, don't measure your performance for the first year. Just focus on your niche. Quality, quantity, and building relationships in your niche. And if you do that, you're consistent about your publishing. You can look at your stats in a year's time or so. But if you're just focused on stats to begin with, you'll probably get depressed within two months or so. Give it a decent amount of time without looking at stats and getting better at what you do, more consistent at what you do, and discover precisely what should be your focus. And then you can hone that and hopefully be pleasantly surprised with your stats in a year or so.
1: I think that's great advice, you know, and we started with influencer marketing last year as well as a channel. And it's really hard to prove the worth of a channel in two, three months time, unlike, you know, the more established channels like paid search or, you know, paid ads and so on. How do you convince your CMO or, you know, whoever else is your stakeholder that, hey, I'm going to do this and I need time, almost a year. It may or may not generate value, but, you know, we have to keep doing this.
0: I think you have to, first of all, have a conversation about, um, their appreciation that different forms of marketing take different lengths of time and there are pros and cons to different forms of marketing. Sure. Paid search can drive a lot of people instantly, but it will mean that your campaigns might not necessarily be that profitable. So if you do build up that long-term content slash influencer opportunity, it'll take longer but the profitability will come um, over that period of time for the business. So ideally, you want multiple focuses in terms of your marketing activities. You you want to be focusing short-term, medium-term, and long-term. And if you can get your CMO to agree that, then the next step is to have that content conversation okay this is where we're doing well in terms of content this assists our short-term paid search activities but unless we do this form of content as well we're not going to have an opportunity to be successful long term to get that lower cpa because we're not attracting people we're not building that value with influencers with on social platforms with seo in the future so Let me use some of my budget to focus long-term so I can reduce the CPA over the long-term.
1: Makes sense, David. Thank you so much again for spending time with us. I think there are lots of different nuggets of helpful information throughout the episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully, we'll have you back again on the show sometime soon.
0: Sounds good. Thanks, Prateek.
1: Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast is brought to you by Philo. Philo is the easiest way to get access to authenticated creator data from hundreds of different platforms. To know more about Philo, visit getphilo.com. That's get Also, make sure to search for Influencer Marketing Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast listening platforms. And don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fellow, thank you so much for listening.